Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Double Pipcast. This is a very special episode of the Double Pipcast where I interviewed Drew Nolasco, the global brand manager for the Transformers trading card game and an employee at Wizards of the Coast. We go through Drew's background in the gaming industry. We talk about the Transformers trading card game and how it was developed, how it's currently developed, and we even touch on some really cool exclusive information about the future of the Transformers trading card game, including the launch of War for Cybertron Siege 2. Hopefully you enjoy, and here we go. Hey everybody, I'm here with Drew Nolasco, who is the global brand manager for the Transformers trading card game and a employee at Wizards of the Coast. How are you doing today? Hey everybody, I am doing great. I am talking to you from Magic Fest Vegas. Awesome, awesome. Drew and I were just talking about uh, Magic Fest Vegas, and Drew, what do we have going on at Magic Fest Vegas? Uh, tr- there's tons of stuff, I'm, but uh, I'm here because Transformers Trading Card Game is testing out Learn to Play at a Magic Fest for the first time, and so far it's been going okay. <clears throat> That's awesome. That's awesome. So, uh, Drew, rolling right into it, um, how did you come to work for Wizards of the Coast? My background is in licensed gaming and ki- particularly kids gaming and kids TCGs that have a TV show that's part of them. Um, so I had done some work at other companies. I've been in the game industry for, I got, let's see, doing math, about 18 years. Um, and uh, no, close to that. And uh, Wizards was starting up a new American kids trading card game called Kaijudo. And they were looking for a game designer, which is uh, my background, uh, who had experience in working on kids' trading card games, which have a, an accompanying TV show. And you can imagine the number of people who have had that experience is, is pretty slim. So I joined Wizards to be the originally the lead developer and then a, uh, later the lead uh, designer and world builder for the Kaijudo game. And then after that, I've, I've done a few things at Wizards. But the thing in common is they are um, all focused around um, uh, the non-magic. Well, that's not even true. Magic trading card game uh, learn to play or trading card games that are for um, uh, a little bit more of a, um, a younger or casual audience. Okay, awesome. So Kaijudo uh, was the first project that you worked on at Wizards? Yes, and I worked on that for a number of years. I was also the lead designer for Magic the Gathering on iOS, Xbox, and Steam for a while. Uh, that product, that that brand name was called uh, Magic Duels. Um, I've also done work on a number of other uh, learn to play projects and engagement. Uh, and then when when a number of us were talking about with Hasbro about the possibility of a Transformers trading card game, I, I took over the reins of that. Wow, that's awesome. And um, safe to say that you enjoy it quite a bit? It is a blast. I, I grew up as a Transformers fan. So not only is this an awesome professional fit for me, but from a, a personal geek life interest, it's the bee's knees. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. So so uh, I imagine you're, you're surrounded every day with toys and games and all kinds of cool product that would make us uh, on this end uh, – probably have a conniption. Uh, what is your day-to-day life as uh, at work as the Transformers TCG Global Brand Manager? So the way our uh, groups are organized, brand management 
and game design are the two primary um, axes in any in any product. So brand management is the business side. So making sure that the products are profitable for the company um, and that we can sell products that are a, a good price point for consumers so that it's something that they are, they feel comfortable purchasing. It also is the marketing and the communications and PR and everything that goes into that. So marketing communications, the, the social media um, uh, team, they all wrap up into me. And then um, product development is the other responsibility of, of a brand manager at Wizards. So product development is identifying what is the right product to satisfy the needs of a certain subset of gamers, a lot of gamers, a very small group of gamers, um, in such a way that they get to play and enjoy the the things that they want to do in the way that they want to enjoy them, and in such a way that the, the company can um, uh, be a good business. And then from that, there's a whole bunch of things. It's like working with Hasbro on a, on a pretty much weekly basis, daily basis sometimes, depending where we are in the product development cycle, talking about okay, so how can we sync up with the toy line? How can we get these characters who aren't in the toy line into the trading card game? What is the proper name for this weapon that a character uses? All kinds of IP uh, sync up stuff like that also rolls up to me. Okay. And then, uh, so basically, this is a long-winded way of saying I, I, everything that's not the actual design of the game rolls up to me. Right, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So... Yeah, so the uh, I don't, game so engineers and game developers, the, the folks that make sure that the game is playable when right. it, it lands in our hands, and then you're, uh, you and your team are responsible for everything that gets that to our hands successfully. That's correct, and there's a lot of crossover there. Right. So well, there's another leader who, who runs the game design group. His name is Charlie Catino. So the lead designer of Transformers is Ken Nagel, who fans of magic may be familiar with because he's been a magic game designer for years. Um, they make sure that the play environment is fun and healthy and engaging and that people want to come back over and over again to find new aspects of game des of deck design um, and new ways to use cards and maintain so that there's cool things to do over and over again and that those cool things to do are in a fair and healthy environment. Right. And that crossover comes because we don't just design game design is not just words on on text on, on on cards. It also has to feel true to the character that the the game design is part of. So when we create, say, a new Starscream character, we have to make sure that it feels like Starscream and that it does the things that Starscream does. And the game design and the creative design, so the art, the naming, um, the concept of what the character is, have to be lockstep, hand in hand. Otherwise, it falls flat. And that's one of the things that I think that has been most rewarding about Transformers is how well we've been able to meet fans' expectations of what Transformers characters in card form feel like. Awesome. Yeah, that, that rings true with me because... Uh... Wave one Skywarp comes to mind where he diverts damage. He's not going to take a bullet for somebody else, right? I, that doesn't seem like most Decepticons. So he's going to try to 
uh, shirk that damage as best as possible, right? Exactly. Awesome. Uh, you can see it in product development with things like Metroplex. So the Metroplex toy is the Metroplex is the character who turns into a city, and um, we know that we wanted to, and the toy was physically gigantic. For a long time, it was the largest Transformers toy ever made. And we wanted to capture some of that um, sort of grandiose might that these Titan-sized characters have. So we figured out a way to make a single card that was about eight inches tall. Yeah, how did that go uh, in terms of getting a little bit of ahead of ourselves? But that's a, a fun nugget to think about. How did that back and forth go when somebody finally said, hey, this card's going to be giant? So it, it, it's super easy. So the way it works is someone has an awesome idea and then makes a case for why that idea is good for the brand, why it's good for the, the, the players, why it's good for the company, why it's good for Transformers. And then we figure out how we can get it done. Not all ideas make it through. As a matter of fact, most ideas don't make it all the way through the process because we find um, unanticipated issues um, or we were like, oh, that's that that sounded great, but when we actually play tested it, it didn't come, didn't play as well as we thought. Like that's the pro that's the iterative design iterative design process that is the core of Transformers and pretty much everything that that Wizards does. Right. But the ones that do make it all the way through, those have seen so much attention and so much love, um, especially the big weird ones, the ones that are done for the first time, like a card that big. Um, or the, the combiners, which are the cards that have a hinge in the center so that they can open up and reveal the interior, an interior uh, third side. That stuff has gone through so much attention. Um, uh, none, none of it is, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say difficult. Sometimes it's challenging, and that's sort of like a different flavor of the same word, but difficult to me is um, onerous, whereas challenging is, oh, there are these issues. How are we going to, how are we going to solve those issues? Can we solve those issues? Right. Yeah. So, uh, I know it's it, with any sort of development, it, it's, you don't want to talk about what could have been and things that uh, were left on the back burner because then all the fans want is, oh man, that would have been so great if you released that. Why didn't you do that? But <laughs> is there anything that you know for sure, uh, is probably, not doable that you can uh, talk about or some sort of uh, little inside scoop, uh, funny story uh, of something that maybe we wouldn't see uh, as outsiders looking in as fans. Sure. So um, when we were starting the initial development of the Transformers trading card game, the first thing that we did was called system design. And that's where we figure out what is the core group of rules that will govern how this game works. And we had an open call for designs inside uh, Wizards uh, uh, design teams. And everyone from Mark Rosewater, who's the head designer for Magic, to folks who, are, uh, who don't even work on game design as their initial, uh, as their, their primary job function, all had an opportunity to pitch to us. And there were some awesome, awesome designs. Some of them didn't work. Uh, some of them had this one nugget of awesomeness that were like, okay, we're going to take that thing and we're going to put it in the bucket and then we'll figure out how to make the bucket, uh, the things in the bucket work together. Uh, but one of the things that didn't fly uh, was one of my suggestions was, what if we do this as a map-based tactical con combat game? And so I had this prototype that was like, 
Your characters had movement and they could move spaces. It was a great design. It was not right for this trading card game. And so it got shelved. But that that was one of the like 32 designs that we that that we uh, that made it through the pitch phase. That's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, so I've, I've played a, a card game, Colossal Kaiju Combat, that had a very similar um, system where you moved around a skyscraper and tried to do damage to it. So that's uh, really cool. And it's always interesting to get some of the behind the scenes on something like that. Yeah, the, the reason why we didn't, that's probably also important. The reason why we didn't pick that um, is we wanted the game to feel like a fast clash of, of Transformers characters. And that was one of the core goals that we had is the game had to be a proceed at a fairly rapid pace. And the overall duration of a game was uh, under a half an hour. And th- those were two things that we considered fundamental, two of the things that we considered fundamental to the core uh, system design in order to make this game distinctive and feel like the trans- Transformers brand's sort of characteristic bot-on-bot combat. So that brings up a, an interesting point. So as we're we're now in the third wave, uh, creeping up on the fourth here and fourth uh, Q4 here, how do you continue to keep the fast-paced action among competitive and even semi-competitive or casual play where people are still going to local game stores and playing? How do you keep that fast-paced action where the goal is either to tend towards for people making decks and doing uh, game crafting and theory crafting they tend towards more strategic, more combos. They want to last as long as possible or take their opponent out as fast as possible so that sometimes, uh, and maybe maybe I'm off here, but sometimes you lose that initial, uh, that initial thought, that DNA, once it gets out into folks' hands just because they find a way around the system. So fast-paced and... Um strategic play are not mutually exclusive when when we talk about fast paced paced we most want the feeling of fast pacedness um and and the overall duration of the games to be not too long um and and different players are going to want to express how they play play transformers in different ways you've noted a couple of them um there are people who are going to want to play aggro rush decks and just go all out for an immediate victory. And there are people who are going to want to play the control deck game. Um, and we made get, we made archetypes and built them into the Transformers uh, game system specifically so those pe- people could have the satisfying experiences the way they want to. So tank decks and um, uh, as are just one example of a more controlling uh, game type, whereas Insecticons are and Autobot cars or some versions of Autobot cars are very, very fast and aggressive. And that's that's not only fine, that's that's what we want. We want people to be able to draw different play styles out of the Transformers game. Where, okay. where the challenge is, is making sure that all of that is still possible for players inside the umbrella goals of feels like bots smashing into one another and games don't take terribly long. And that's on us, and that's why we have a play design group who play tests games and provides iterative feedback and says, "Hey, this card is, is is bogging things down, or this card is unbelievably fast and needs to get toned down." And and that's just part of the design process at Wizards. Right. Okay. No, that's uh that's awesome to hear. And yeah, it's um the game. No matter how much 
how many new systems come into play, the base set of pips that we have now, um, the game still feels fast because there's only so much you can do on a certain turn. There's there's a limit to how many actions you can play. There's a limit to how many upgrade cards you can play, the weapons, the the utilities, and the armor. So a turn can only last so long, right? Exactly. And, there, you know, when we when we do design work, when we do the game design work, we want to push the limits. If if we're not pushing the limits, things are by default boring, and that's not good for anybody. So we found that we for a couple of cards we'd pushed the limits too much, and so we took some corrective action not too long ago. And that's also core to the way that we what we manage this game for people. Um, we found that there was. There was a card that allowed you to get too much card advantage in one card play. And so that card was banned. It's the only card we've ever banned. Um, and while that's a rare thing, it is part of the natural process of pushing the boundaries. And that is necessary for exciting gameplay. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, th I think for those listening, they, they know uh, RIP swap parts, right? Yeah, RIP yeah. swap parts. So moving into, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about the development. We've talked a little bit about launch, but uh, I'm interested in the portion that's uh, not the game design part, you know, the part that falls under your wheelhouse and your team's wheelhouse. Um, and that's appealing, making an appealing product um, from the outset. So with any large property, there's a passionate fan base. The Transformers uh, fan base is not unlike the Godzilla fan base, the Power Rangers fan base, video game fans. So with that, people are going to be nostalgic about different periods of time that they remember experiencing the Transformers. So that doesn't necessarily, that nostalgia doesn't necessarily um, appeal to everybody at the Target store, right, on the shelf. So how do you appease the fan base with the uh, IP, but also bring in new players? I think that, I think... The Transformers brand does this really well, um, and the way it constantly reinvents the core characters in the brand. Uh, you know, the the current set, War for Cybertron Siege One, is uh, designed was designed hand in hand with the, the Siege War for Cybertron Siege toy line, and um, when when you're looking at those those main characters who appear pretty frequently in the, the Transformers brand like Optimus Prime and Starscream and Megatron and Bumblebee, um, you see different flavors of those characters' personalities in each iteration. And in Prime, they were really going with the, for Siege, they were going with the, the Autobot leader. Yes, he's totally an effective and, and powerful combatant on the, the battlefield, but he's real, but he, he's emphasized in Siege as, this is this is the this is the the leader that you need in in desperate times, and so um, we were able we took that philosophy and created an, a version of Optimus Prime who is specifically and explicitly a, a leader. He grants abilities to other Autobots on his team, and because of that, we really don't have a lot of difficulty in coming up with new versions of these these core characters and as you know the balance between how many times does a, a fan see you know a, a deep engaged fan of the brand see starscream versus a character who 
they know and love who is a little bit more obscure, say the Firecons or, um, uh, you know, a whole host of the thousands of Transformers characters who have appeared over the 35 history year of the brand. And that balance is important to us. So one way is that our starter deck products have always are going to have the more um, recognizable characters because they're touch points for new players. And our booster packs are going to, as a regular part of how booster packs are made, dip pretty deep into obscure characters. And we, we've done that from set one. Um, Flame War is a pretty obscure character unless you're a hyper-engaged fan. Um, uh, she's had one toy in 35 years, and it was a, a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive. So it's not even a widespread toy. And there are, there are characters that we've pulled from even more obscure sources. And that is one of the strengths of the trading card game inside of the Transformers brand. Because we print so many cards a year, we can and do and always will go super deep and pull out those fan favorite or obscure characters or single versions of a character that might be obscure. For example, we did a version of Windblade that was based on her Combiner Hunter San Diego Comic-Con toy where um, she's not the, the typical Windblade. She comes uh, armed with a specific weapon and a specific paint scheme that is um, uh, her precise iteration where she was fighting com uh, enemy Combiner teams. And we turned that into a card. So... I would say ultimately the richness of the Transformers universe helps us keep this this um, variance and diversity in the character roster. Um, it's not it's not a difficult thing for us. It's 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 more difficult figuring out how we are going to get enough characters who are more rare and obscure into cardboard form. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know. Uh some some fans and and myself included can look at something and uh, say oh that's not the 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 most popular version of the character uh let's say just for this this point's sake there was uh the bayformers uh megatron and optimus from a non-initiated uh fan somebody just sees it on the shelf if they see those characters and then they see original g1 art and you say hey which one is cooler to you? The Transformers fan would say, oh, man, it's got to be G1 art or bust, right? And then somebody who's not initiated would be like, oh, these look really cool and futuristic. So striking that balance of appealing to the non-fan and, and, and appeasing us, right, is, is something that uh, I, th I thought would be a little more difficult, but it doesn't sound like it. So par part of this is, is we are, are pretty explicitly generations, so we don't dip into any of the, the movie verse, for example. But each of the expressions of Transformers does have its hyper-engaged fans. Um, and while most hyper-engaged fans cross over from various to various iterations, like it's totally possible to be a, say, Robots in Disguise fan, and that's it. Um, I would say the one that is most common to be uh, a hyper-fan at the of, of one expression, but the exclusion of other expressions is Beast Wars. And that's really because Beast Wars was Transformers for an entire generation of, of people. Um, it was the only expression of Transformers. So they grew up with that as Transformers. Um, but all of these generation family expressions of Transformers have enough of the common themes and common visual themes that 
um, people who who do enjoy the crossover are 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 we are able to satisfy them at multiple levels. Awesome. So uh, dovetailing off of that, so in movies, video games, comics, and traditional games based on a pre-existing license, there's a brand guide that exists. There's a a lore bible that exists. Um, do you have something like that that uh, you and the team work off of that's been provided to you? We absolutely have that. Awesome. Is it a, an epic tome? <laughs> uh, it requires a cart. <laughs> awesome. Um, I exaggerate a little bit. No, no, there are, there are multiple. Every big brand has brand guidelines, right? Like that's, that's core to being a brand is that you want, to, you want the expressions of the brands to have um, similarity. So, um, yes, there absolutely are our brand and style guides. Uh, our Hasbro, the, the relationship with Hasbro uh, is fantastic. Uh, we talk regularly with their the Transformers creative team, the toy design team, and the art department. Um, and I've mentioned some of these names before, but you know, John Warden, Chris Nadeau, um, and Ben Montano are are great partners. Um, and so, where we where the needs of a a physical trading card game create any amount of weirdness, there's a very open discussion. It's like, hey, we have this issue. Here are some pro- ways that we propose to fix it, or ways that we propose to express this part of the, the Transformers brand or IP. What do you guys think of that? Is there a better way we could do this? Um, and those conversations are natural, um, and it's it's really part of working with such a, a mature brand. Um, people people who've worked on this for a long time um, have the experience of of showing Transformers characters, themes, storylines in so many different media that these conversations are pretty awesome to have, actually. Yeah, and it, from an from a player standpoint and a fan standpoint, I feel like there's been a great deal of respect paid to the uh, the brand and the the legacy just through this card game and and through other ways that uh, we interact with with the card game. So, uh, hats off to you and the team out there. Thanks, I really appreciate that because that is our number one guiding principle. It must pass an enfranchised fans sniff test. Right. We call it the sniff test. Does, hmm. does it pass the sniff test? If it passes the sniff test, we're doing our job. And it has to pass the sniff test on, on, on multiple levels and all the time. Yeah. So with uh, we talked a little bit about uh, obscure characters, characters in maybe a specific paint job or a specific uh, niche uh, appearance. Can you dispel some of the mystique around how the character selection process goes? Do you have a short list you work off of? Is, how does that go? So it, this varies whether or not we're doing a throwback set like Rise of the Combiners or whether we're doing a set that ties into um, a current on-shelf toy line. So I'll take War for Cybertron Siege, for example. Going back to your previous question, we had the style guide, and it lists the characters who are going to be made into into toys um, show, shows their place in the story talks about the plot you know all the things that you'd expect from a style guide 
And then we kind of mapped that out. And there was enough content uh, just in the Siege toy line alone that was it was more than one set's worth of of, um, of characters. And then we had these conversations with the creative team back at Hasbro. It was like, well, what if we showed what the characters who didn't make it into the toy line, because we also see the sort of concept development, uh, what the characters who didn't make it into the toy line looked like as if they were redesigned for Siege. And that led to a whole bunch of other conversations, which was like, what cool characters can we, can we bring up to the Siege look and feel style? And that, that led to things like the fire cons, getting, uh, including the fire cons and redesigning them, um, you know, having artist Marcelo Materi um, you know, do a modern take of what a modern Transformers character would look like um, to update the fire cons. Um, and we had Dan Kana do the Omnibots for San Diego Comic-Con. Um, and those are super exciting discussions. As to the mystique of how do we select characters, a lot of it is what's the right place for a character to go because characters have distinctive styles, fighting styles, weapons, toy gimmicks. And I think I think that the, I think that the largest and most important classification that we do is what set is going to have the right marriage of a character's IP and game mechanics that make the character pass the sniff test. So extreme example was Rise of the Combiners, right? We we had the 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 hinged cards mechanic and we um, created an entire set just to house the hinged card mechanic and the combiner's characters. Uh, but we also threw in a few tri triple changers just to sort of seed the waters for future stuff. Uh, that's the biggest and by far away the more, most important is does the set have the right mechanics to make the, ca the character feel right? So there are characters that we haven't done yet for specifically for the reason that the game mechanics that make them feel true haven't been introduced yet. Okay. So, uh, speaking of, you know, you talked about iterative, iterative design and, you know, we've, we've touched a bit on what the DNA and some of the guiding principles of the Transformers trading card game. Um, has the team considered, and, and you can say pass if you want, has the team considered anything like... Um, scenarios or even um like planets or or cards that aren't necessarily actions they're not necessarily upgrades but they're persistent like let's say teletran one or things that may have a persisting feeling in the game so in wizard speak we call them per we would call them permanents um okay. as a and yes we have um Going all the way back to original design, there were a couple of designs that were very mission-centric, like sort of like quest-centric. Mm. Um, and you will see cards like that sometime in 2020. Oh, awesome. Very cool. And I can't go into more detail of what they look like or how they... How right, they, for sure. Yeah. But that, that is their, the, the, the game rule system absolutely not only has space for for that style of of card and game and game design it is one that we will be exploring very cool very cool 
So you, you talked about uh, the Omnibots, and that's another example of a niche, uh, right? They were a send-away, and so those characters were send-away toys initially, right? And now they yeah. were uh, brought brought to the card game in a, um, a promotional pack, so that's really cool. So to talk about some of those exclusives, uh, typically early adopter exclusives um, or... Uh, event items, those are kept exclusive for the life of the product, really to respect the fact that somebody got there first and, and was aware. And, you know, that's a, a mark of pride. Hey, I got that item. It's awesome. Um, so there's been, uh, you know, there's some discussion around the 2018 compact where, um, for whatever reason, I think uh, I myself was not even aware that the card game was coming out. Um, you know, we, we missed that, that wave and, and have to get it other ways. Has there, with that in mind, has there been any sort of talk about a re-release of that pack or is it kind of just moving forward? So has there been talk? Yes, there's always talk. We, 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 we play, we explore things all the time. We, we do a lot of what if scenarioing both on the business planning side. Um, those cards in that form as they were exactly there will not be printed again specifically because it was an early collector's item having said that we recognize that there are way there there are players who desperately want to get their hands on those cards um and i i, I don't have any concrete things to talk about at this time but we are aware of the players' increasing fervor that mm -hmm. they want to get their hands on those cards. And there, there are lots of ways that we could do this, including print, print cards that have similar abilities and hold similar spaces in game design so that people have access to the things that those, those hard-to-find cards do. That's one way we could do it. Um, there are others. And yes, we are, we are aware of the fans pretty strong interest in being able to do the things that cliff jumper and slipstream do right right yeah I, I will uh for the time being i will revert to just using some of my extra white cardboard and my amateur art skills <laughs> um ha having said that we are less likely to print mechanically unique super hard to get cards in the future so, for example, this year there was this a really bizarre thing that happened that I can't can't even go into. But the original plan was that the um, the Omnibot pack was the one that was going to be sold at conventions all through 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 2019, um, and the 35th anniversary Blaster versus Soundwave would be exclusive to uh, to San Diego Comic Con, and that, as you know, is an art variant. There's a mechanically identical retail edition that features the generations versions of those characters coming out on September 20th. Um, and in the future, now that we know of this weird, weird thing that happens, um, that's going to be our plan. That something like a single convention product will be more of an art variant and less of a mechanically unique card. Okay. There are a couple of places, but there's a cutoff where we, where we consider easy enough to get. For example, the release day event card that comes in every in-store play kit 
are given out at 25 per store that signs up. And while that's a one-day event only, that is a lot of stores around the world, each with many cards. So that that is not below the threshold for us. Right, with uh, Private Smashdown. That's correct. So you could imagine that the release day kit for Siege 2 um, will also have a mechanically unique character card to celebrate the release of that product. Awesome. And I, I thank you guys for that that pack, that care pack. That was a great event that we had here in uh, our neck of the woods. Yeah, and the in-store play has been really, really positive, not just for the brand, but for community building. It's been assigned to retailers. You know, starting a new game is difficult, mm. and bringing a new game into your store is a risk for a retailer. When we recognize that. I used to manage a retail store or part of a retail store way back in the day, and so I understand it. I don't, you know, I've been out of that game for a while, but I, I remember it's it's difficult. Um, and every dollar that a retailer sinks into investment into a new product represents risk. And we get that. And the in-store play kits are a way to both affirm to retailers and players that this game's supported at the store level. So the communities that have been constantly growing or springing up anew um, are really healthy. Awesome. So you talked a little bit about the retail piece of it. Um, is Toy Fair, uh, the New York Toy Fair, is that uh, in your wheelhouse in terms of attending that and, and you know doing a little bit of salesmanship around the Transformers trading card brand? Oh, absolutely. I've been there for the last two years. Okay. We showed off uh, Rise of the Combiners to trade at that show okay so with you know there's there's the the big three we'll call them and one of them is within the wizards of the coast uh, umbrella magic the gathering so what is what is the sell on transformers trading card game uh when this this i'm i'm joe sales owner or store owner and you know hey magic Yu-Gi-Oh, pokemon they bring in what i need what is Transformers? Uh, why should I stock Transformers? Why should I build a brand around Transformers and and you know sell it to me? So I think there's there's two really um, important uh, key selling points from from a retailer's point of view. One is there is a category of sort of action battling trading card game, and the Transformers trading card game is backed by Wizards quality game design. And there are, there are great games out there. Um, but, you know, there's a reason why we're the world leader in trading card games. Um, and we've been doing this for, we, we originated the category. Mm -hmm. So there's that level of consistency, um, of store support, of quality of product, and... That is critical when you're maintaining that 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 same level of quality and the cadence is is important if you're a retailer. Yeah. And a second key selling point is that the Transformers trading card game helps bring in new blood into your store. So one there are two things ways that 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 happens. One, we've seen Transformers fans who were not previously trading card game players start enjoying the hobby 
because of the Transformers trading card game. And Transformers fans are legion. Uh, it you know as one of the literally one of the largest entertainment brands in the world. Um, Transformers has 35 years worth of fan building behind it, and we tap into um, a relatively untouched part of that fan base, which is face-to-face gameplay, which is also one of the main uh, roles of the trading card game inside the larger Transformers family. And then also, those fans have youngsters, and Transformers was explicitly designed to have strategy and depth inside of the tactical gameplay and the team building and the deck building, but the the core turn and the rules of the game so was specifically designed to be easy to grok even by a youngster. And that's because we knew that adult Transformers fans were raising a new generation of Transformers fans, and we want to share the love of Transformers um, in a face-to-face game, in a tabletop game. And so we are tapping into that. Um, and, um, you know, Geek Dad, I, I think, put it really, really great in, in some of his articles about the Transformers trading card game, where he talked about how this felt tailored so that exactly for for the parent of a tra- of, who was raising young Transformers fans as a way to bring the, the youngster into the hobby. So from a retailer point of view, anything that brings new fans into the hobby and into the store is is gold. Like that's how we 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 achieve sustainability, you know, generation after generation. Yeah. So, Absolutely. Also, also, I would say, and this is, I think, a, a little bit less of a, of a KSP for a retailer, but because Transformers was designed specifically and explicitly to be a fairly fast game, it serves really well as a player's second collectible game because a lot of players enjoy playing one primary game and one one other game that they pick up and play. So even if a player is primarily into Magic or one of the other leading trading card games, Transformers could, is very easily settles into, oh, that's the, the game I get out and play a few quick games with my friends. Yeah. And I can speak to, so two of the things you brought up I can speak to is, is a, uh, that rings true in terms of you all being successful is, first off, by just playing the Transformers card game in a, in a public setting, people will look they're in between rounds they're they're opening packs they're waiting for the next uh round of attorney to start they see the giant cards they're holographic all of them are holographic uh oh what is that is that transformers oh i've seen that and they get hooked uh you know our really friendly folks give out starter uh packs from their doubles so you've you've done well there and then a great friend of mine his son is actually named ryan off uh, based off Orion Pax and he's Very young cool. and he he definitely put the hurt on some folks uh at the welcome day for the siege one launch and um he he's he's a fair he's a fair but firm player he played ramming speed and he didn't even ask me to to scrap that he's just like scrap that please I'm like oh he's like a nine-year-old kid but you know sorry. um it's funny that you brought up the the visibility of the card game because that was intentional, right? There there have been a lot of trading card games. Um, I I got into Magic uh, with Antiquities and I started working at a retail store pretty pretty soon after that. Um, so I've seen a lot of them, and we needed to stand out. 
and not just stand out in terms of how awesome the gameplay is or how much it felt like Transformers, but we actually literally needed to stand out. And once we had settled on a game system that did that that wanted to start with the characters and play, which by the way was so that there could be combat on the first turn, um, uh, we realized, hey, uh, these don't have to shuffle into your deck, so that means we can do a lot of crazy stuff with them. And all you know, every card being foil on its bot side, and the cards being double sized, commander sized um, for the sort of standard size Transformers character uh, was um, decisions that we came to pretty specifically so that we would stand out and look fantastic. And I, as you note, it works. Yes. Yeah, it's it's awesome. And and I I keep waiting for what the next thing will be done uh, because they're just fun to even just flip through. Um, so they're they're definitely great eye candy. So Siege 2, which comes out November 8th, has a titan-sized card in every sealed display box. And it's Trypticon. Um, I've been talking in, in a lot of other places about some of the desperate measures that the Autobots and Decepticons um, go, the links that they go to in order to win the war. Trypticon is one of those Decepticon uh, lengths because he is not the most stable of titans even in the, on his best day. And uh, so we put one of those massive titan-sized characters in in every single display box um and and the reason for that is because of the spectacle it looks fantastic um and it turned out to be not that difficult for us to do we had to adjust the box by i think like two millimeters in each direction mm-hmm. to make it fit and snug and safe and now the box opening experience is unleash trypticon so th- that that's pretty core to who we are now yeah that's awesome and, and um, definitely goes back to pushing the envelope. Yeah, Trypticons uh, plays very differently from Metroplex. If you, ha- if you enjoyed playing Metroplex, you probably enjoy playing Trypticon, but they are definitely different deck experiences. Yeah. I know in a, um, in a past interview, uh, you said that you were surprised by how long it took the community to latch on to Metroplex and really realize how strong he was. Is there any other character uh, that it's a surprise to you that you haven't seen more discussion around that's secret strong, uh, if you will? So uh, there's a Thundercracker who gets a bonus attack for every action you play and we were expecting people to find ways to break him uh, a little bit more than they did um there was there was a there was a deck that was able to take we, we it was part of the the um swap parts uh situation but there was a deck that was able to pl- generate a lot of action plays a turn and that that core is still there. You can't use it to take multiple turns, but you can still take many action to turn, particularly if you use red heat from uh, Siege Two, sorry, from Siege One. And Thundercracker can get pretty arbitrarily large for one turn. Um, so that was that was one character. And I think there's there's still un- untapped potential with him. Um, and then Sunstorm is a character. And I think in the current environment is probably a little bit too fast for Sunstorm, but there are ways to get basically an arbitrarily large hand size 
in the game. And early, earlier on, so it's not so much true now, but around the Wave 1 timeline, one of the guys in the office had a, I think it was a Sunstorm Nemesis Prime deck that basically drew most of the deck really quickly. And so Sunstorm was gigantic, and Nemesis Prime got gigantic quickly because the deck only had, like, I don't know, five cards in it, and so you were shuffling every combat. Wow, that's awesome. I know I've tried to no avail with Sunstorm, uh, especially with Wave 3 Skywarp with a little bit of synergy they have there um, with that draw power. But sometimes I just feel like I would rather play my actions and my upgrades than get one or two more attack. But um, more time in the in the uh, boiler there to figure that out. Yep. Uh, and... Depending on when this goes live, one of the folks in the office is going to, I think Matt Smith is going to be writing an article about Soundwave from the Blaster versus Soundwave deck. Blaster was a, intentionally a little bit more obvious of a competitive design. Um, Soundwave has some pretty pretty strong potential there as well. So Matt's going to be writing an article to talk about how to take best use of uh, Soundwave. Hint, it, re it revolves around Recover Cassette. Awesome. I can't wait to read that. Um, so with the, the last uh, bit of time we have here, um, had just one last question for you, and then I'll, I'll give it to you to kind of let the, the community know what we have going on as a recap. Uh, there's a, I'm actually surprised by it, there's a fairly large amount of content creators and people that have basically heard the call to arms to join the community and help each other out, so on and so forth. Do you have any uh, anything that you haven't seen from the community, from content creators, um, from even uh, developers out there that are making their own tools? Is there anything out there that, that you would like to see or think that the community could benefit from? I think the community is doing a fantastic job. So we're seeing everything from um, box openings and people playing two-pack turbo, which is uh, cool, cool, fun content to super, super deep deck deck analysis and deck design, um, uh, tournament reports. I think I think there was I, one one thing that I, I would love to see is um, folks from local stores, um, it, and we definitely have seen this but I'd love to see more of it. Folks from local stores celebrating their Energon Invitational Qualifier winner and the deck that that person played. Because there's a lot of cool stuff that we've seen. Um, and we are, we're, we're working to get uh, some of that more out to the community. But um, I, that's the only thing that I would say I'd love to see even more of. But the community has been, been amazing in the amount of content that it generates for such a new game. It's, it's really rewarding watching. Yeah. And we appreciate the amount of signal boosting you all do for the things that, that we're doing. And, um, you know, just, just some of the things that uh, we share amongst each other. Um, having you guys chime in is always a treat. Yeah. You know, that level of engagement is important to us. We want to be present, um, for, for uh, any number of good reasons, right? Like you got the community, whether you're content creators or people who post online or even, you know, upvoting a thread, um, that is feedback to us. It's not the only feedback we use, but it's critical feedback. Um, 
conversations like this, whether they're public like this, this interview or whether they're one on one conversations um, are critical for us figuring out, did we do this correctly? Are we meeting expectations? What do people want to see? And that's why you see us physically at conventions. Um, I just got back from Gen Con. I was there with Matt Smith and Scott Van Essen, both from um, Transformers Design. And we were there sp specifically and explicitly to talk to people and listen to people, and even more importantly, to listen to people. Um, that's why we're there. That's why you see us popping up all the time. Well, we definitely appreciate it, and I know it it, uh, it, it really keeps people engaged, and um, if, if the product itself wasn't, right? So we, we definitely appreciate that. So uh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, there is one thing that I, I do want to get out to everybody in the community. So the Energon Invitational Qualifier season ends on September 30th. So if your local store is eligible to run a qualifier because they signed up for a wave uh, siege one in-store play kit and they haven't run it, please let the your your store know that the every store that's qualified to run one already has the event set up for them in WER, which is the Wizards Event Reporter System software, and all they have to do is change the date to the date that they want to run it. It's set by default to the last day of the season. And they can also change if they want to run a limited qualifier instead of a constructed qualifier. They, they also have the ability to do that. So as we get to the end of the qualifier season, ask your store to run, your, run a qualifier if they're, if they're participating in the in-store uh, play kit for Wave uh, 3. And because I want to see everybody there at PAX Unplugged. Awesome. And make sure that you have your... Uh, member card filled out. You have your um, your what what's it called the the DCI card. DCI card, and if you have a youngster with you, make sure that you've uh, done that as well because they do have to have uh, parental consent through that process as well. Correct. Yep. So uh, last thing, Energon Invitational um, dates and details about Energon Invitational. So. Uh, the Energon Invitational will happen at PAX Unplugged in Philadelphia, and that comes up on the first weekend in December. Um, you will, even if you're not qualified, there'll be other events there, including last chance qualifiers to play in the main event. But there will also be side events, constructed, sealed leagues, um, a daily mini, a daily uh, uh, two-pack turbo every day. Um, so whether you're qualified or not, it's an awesome place to come and uh, it have fantastic Transformers play at the highest level or at a casual level. And I will be there. I will see everyone there. Awesome. And then Siege 2, dates and details, and when can we expect uh, the Hasbro Pulse sale to go on? Sure. So the, the thing that comes before Siege 2 is um, the... Uh, the San Diego Comic-Con and Summer Convention products going online at HasbroPulse.com on September 4th. But if you are a Hasbro Pulse member, some uh, amount of that product has been allocated for the September 3rd as a thank you to Pulse members. Do not be alarmed. It will There will absolutely and definitively be product reserved only for September 4th. Uh, so even if you're not a Hasbro Pulse member, um, uh, you can sign up you can uh, log on and get one that day uh then on september 20th 
Blaster versus Soundwave will hit your local retail store, the um, the Generations Edition, and then then we get to Siege Part Two, the conclusion of the uh, last twenty four hours on Cybertron on November eighth, which is a Friday, and your releases stores will be running release events sometime that weekend, the eighth, the ninth, or the tenth. So sign up at your local store um, for a as yet unannounced. Uh, mechanically unique character card, and I'm not going to spoil it here because it's it's something super cool. Well, Drew, that sounds amazing, and I can't wait for all of that. I'm going to have to get my wallet ready. Thank you so much for joining us for the interview, and I appreciate your time. Absolutely. This was awesome, and I can't wait to talk to you again. Awesome. Thank you, and have a great day in Vegas.